In fandom's flame and nerdy light, let our passions now take flight. Embracing life with all our might, we are geeks and we're all right. Hello all, this is your host, Justin Hunt, Green Lantern of Sector 2814, Highland Division. And this is the Kilted Lantern Podcast. Happy New Year, and yay, we all survived. Now, um, during the last episode, I made the announcement that I had intended to move to a twice-monthly format, and I would be breaking up the segments from previous episodes to this one so that we could reduce maybe some uh, length per episode. I found that most people have a tendency to mentally at least tune out after like the 90-minute mark. So I'm going to try to bring this down because each episode has been encroaching on that two-hour mark more and more, the last actually ending at two hours and 18 seconds, including credits. And I would like to try to bring that down a little bit. Now, I'm planning on releasing the episodes on the 1st and the 15th of each month. That's the goal, and we'll see how this goes. Um, This, the first episode of each month, um, is still going to contain the kilts and cosplay segment and it's also the one that's going to be the new home of the this month in nerd history um segment which has been adjusted a little bit instead of just trying to come up with a list of dates that may be uh, relevant to our various uh, fandoms geekdoms and nerdy interests um, i'm going to focus more on either a historic person or with a specialized date in this month or some other various thing um, related to the various month that it might happen to be in. Now, that means there will be no more history segments in the other episodes, but I'm hoping this will be a richer and fuller experience for everybody. The idea with all of this is to improve content. Now, also, the other thing is that the um, discussion segments will technically just be me uh, talking in the first episodes, and then in the second episode on the 15th of each month, I'm hoping to still be doing interviews and discussions and the panel style. Because one thing I never really explained in the uh, intro episode that I kind of wish that I would have looking back on it, is that my primary goal for this is to kind of give a little bit of the con experience in light of not being able to have conventions. Um... The idea is that you're going to be able to being able to have the discussion format, being able to get subjects brought up that get you thinking and nerdy, and maybe give you just a little bit of that uh, sweet, sweet savor of cons. I mean, it's kind of like imitation bacon bits as opposed to the real ones, but ultimately, when you're having a salad, it's that little bit of pop in life's little salad. So that being said, we're going to move on a little bit here. Um, for your kilt segment, um, the advice again is leading into a blend of practical and, um, fashion sensibilities. Now bear in mind, when it comes to all fashion advice, it is just that advice. You're going to wear what you're going to wear and you're going to rock it. And I want, never want you to think that I want you to do anything else. But, uh, this one uh, relates to cold weather kilting again, um, Last episode was a matter of uh, discussing kilt socks and cold weather, and well, this one is a different matter all the way around. It goes more toward the top. You see, when you're wearing a kilt, there's 
traditional, and I'm using air quotes and you just can't see it, and then there's a matter of modern. Now, modern is where we all live, and traditional may not always appeal to our modern sensibilities. Um, the traditional um, coat for use with modern kilts, and that's, by modern I simply mean the uh, traditional um, from the waist down only type of kilt. Great kilts are their own thing, and that's probably going to get discussed a little bit in the next episode, which should be airing around January 15th. But this particular kilt tip is related to covering your top half when you don't have all that extra material from the great kilt. You see, in the wintertime especially, we northerners um, really like having something warm on our upper halves. And um, the traditional garment, when worn with a modern kilt, is referred to and that's called an Inverness cloak or an Inverness cape is the more common term. But in either case, what it is is, you know, the uh, over cape on the shoulders with the long coat underneath, kind of a Sherlocky Holmes kind of thing. Um, you see it in a lot of different uh, Victorian era and uh, early 20th century Edwardian era depictions of uh, London and Scotland. Well, that's the style of coat that's considered traditional. Now, those are nice, but they're also expensive and not always the most practical for our various needs. You see, they block off your sporin. Um, being long, people sometimes think you're just wearing a long coat with a nice pair of socks, which is a little awkward at times. I mean, it gives a very nice traditional look, but at the same time, it may not be uh, practical for daily activities. Now, for dress wear, it's very nice, very smart looking but for daily activities, you know, it's not always that way. My advice is to find you a good coat that stops around your true waist, namely around the top of the kilt, maybe just a little bit longer. And that way it doesn't block off your sporn if you're so inclined to use them. Um, and it also just looks good with most types of kilts. Um, I have two of them. I have one that's a very modern uh, baseball stadium jacket, um, more like a letterman jacket for those of you here in the States. Um, where it has the cloth body with the leather sleeves. Um, mine happens to be green and black, and I'm in the process of putting some lovely uh, college-style Green Lantern patches on it. Um, I'm planning on getting the back to read the Oa Guardians, um, like a team. But that's me. Um, that's my very modern. It's where I put all my convention pins and nerd paraphernalia on it. Um, and it, it works out nicely for the general wear kind of thing. Now, if you're looking for something a little bit less rough and tumble, but very distinguished, um, bomber jackets actually work very nice. Um, and by bomber, I mean aviator-style bomber jackets. Um, either cloth or leather, both work nicely with, without the uh, sheep's, the lambskin uh, lining, sheep wool, whatever you would call it, the fleecing on the collar. With or without that, it all looks really nice with that, with a good kilt. Because it has that slightly military cut that looks nice with traditional kilts, but also still looks good with your more modern types. Um, and they also look really nice with scarves, which if you're like me, that gives you a chance to throw in an extra splice of tartan in there, even when you're not wearing a kilt. And yeah, so you can get to represent. It also looks good with the standard uh, hats that go with kilts, or that people tend to wear with kilts, which include the Balmoral Bonnet, um, the Tam O'Shanter, um, the uh, Glengarry, style hats, which are popular amongst pipe bands. They all look very good and very uh, striking with that military cut of the jacket. It also looks good with a more casual driver's hat.
which is another popular choice of hats amongst various kilties. So, I highly recommend you look into something along those lines. As I said, the shortness of those jackets, they keep very much in tune with the uh, practicality of wearing with a kilt because it doesn't cover up the kilt too much and make it look like you're wearing some kind of jumper or romper underneath and it looks more like a kilt with a proper coat with it. And so, yeah, that's a really great way to do that. Um, and also, they are very warm. Um, both the stadium-style jackets and the uh, bomber jackets are both very nice and warm. Um, and so, yeah, and it tends to look a little bit better than your big bulky parkas with it, too. Um, so, like I said, a matter of practicality on that. So, moving along with the next part, the uh, cosplay segment. Um... This one is a little bit of uh, personal advice, and I, I'm trying not to get too personal with it. But when it comes to costumes, there's something that not a lot of people think about very much, and that is actually the undergarment. Now, I'm not going to tell you how to avoid painting lines and all that kind of stuff, because honestly, I wouldn't even know how to do that, because mine are never tightly fitted costumes. However, it doesn't matter the type of costume that you're wearing so much as what you're wearing underneath it in terms of convention rules. They require you to wear something underneath it in a lot of cases. And I don't even want to know what kind of problems led to that. So, we're going to look at this from the practical sense. You see, costumes have to fit a certain way to look a certain way. And now this is true with dresses. This is true with suits. This is true with just about any type of clothing that you would wear. But it's especially true with costumes since they tend to have a certain fit and style they have to maintain to maintain a, that good look that you're going for. Always get measured and or fitted when, when applicable while wearing the undergarments you intend to wear to the conventions. And I know this sounds silly, but it really does make a big difference, especially for ladies, um, your type of upper undergarment, I, I, I'm too, I am trying to be polite about this, but uh, type of brassiere or support garment is actually very important to have that, especially um, when being measured and fitted for your costumes because it really does affect how it lays and how it functions and moves and such. And for men, it's important for us too. If you're wearing a spandex outfit, boxer shorts are going to bunch and they're going to be very uncomfortable. Um, it's also true with armor. Or even when you're kilted, um, you want to make sure you're wearing a type of garment that uh, doesn't show too much. Um, but at the same time, supports in all the right areas. Because I'm telling you, nothing hurts more than trying to hurry down a hallway with a heavy sporin. If you've ever ran with a sporin, you know. Now, that being said, these undergarments are very important. It's also true for when you're wearing a dance belt. Gentlemen, when you have to wear spandex, you want to wear a dance belt. Because you don't want to have the spider wang issue, okay? Um, and, and that just means that, you know, you don't want your bulge to be too detailed. We'll put it that way. So I just wanted to make sure that everybody thinks about that as they're getting fitted for their costumes. Because with this being the new year, yay, a new year. There is possibly the potential, at least later in the year, for us to possibly be going back to conventions and such. And I would like to make sure that... You're properly attired and you're looking good and you're killing it in your costume. So I, I just want you to know 
that that matters. I never thought that it mattered until I found out that it mattered. And I don't want to give you the details of that story because it's very embarrassing. I know I try to have no pride, but it's just embarrassing. So I want you to think about that as you're going through. Um, If you're wearing a corset, support garments, you're wearing um, boxers, whatever, just make sure you're wearing the same garment or at least one very similar to it that you're going to be wearing at the conventions with that said costume as you're getting measured and fitted. All right. And now it comes time for the uh, This Month in Nerd History segment. Like I said, this has been reformatted. Um, I'm going to actually do a birthday segment for an author, but uh, not just any one author, because there's actually three authors that have a birthday in the month of January. And I'd like to mention the three specifically. Now, like I said, there's way more than that, but these three in particular, I mean... I can't mention January birthdays without mentioning our own Professor J.R.R. Tolkien, um, whose birthday was actually January 3rd. Um, and then there's also Edgar Allan Poe's, whose birthday was on January 19th. But I don't want to... Uh, just focus on those two because that'd be kind of selfish of me because those happen to be my two favorite uh, authors as it pertains to works of fiction. Um, Tolkien um, also has medievalist and academic papers that I just absolutely love reading um, and linguistics and and so much more. And then Poe also has poetry that uh, that's just so moving and gripping. But like I said, it, it would be selfish of me to mention their birthdays and then focus on them. Instead, I want to focus on someone else who had a huge hand in shaping geekdom as we know it. You see, on January um, 27th, when Charles Lutwidge Dodgson was born, and that was in uh, Cheshire, England, and the most of us in the world know him better as Lewis Carroll. Now, Lewis Carroll was an interesting figure, and uh, technically it's the Reverend Lewis Carroll, as he was a uh, deacon in the Anglican Church. Um, There's some controversy and speculation as to why he wasn't ordained as a full priest, um, but it's never really been clarified. Um, He was an author, illustrator, poet, mathematician, photographer, teacher, and even inventor to some degree. Really big... Uh, push on that. Now, it should be pointed out that his most famous works are Alice in Wonderland and Through the Looking Glass. Also really popular is The Hunting of the Snark and Jabberwocky. I personally love Jabberwocky. It's my favorite poem of his. Twas brelig in the slithy tove did gyre and gimble in the wabe. All mimsy were the buttergove in the moment I thought grave. I'll spare you the full recitation. That was strictly out of memory. That should tell you how much I love this because I'm terrible about memorization. Um, but he's also uh, famous for uh, Curiosa Mathematica, Parts 1 and 2, which are subsequently A New Theory of Parallels, and Pillow Problems, The Principles of Parliamentary Representation. Um, so, yeah, he, he is uh, pretty well-rounded in all that. Now... I'm not going to get too much into his life and all that because really his works are what we should be focusing on if we're looking at it from the perspective of uh, nerds and geeks. However, 
Um, there has been some speculation regarding... I mean, a lot of people like to think that he was using drugs. And realistically, with the deep study, there isn't a whole lot to support that theory. Some um, suggest uh, some various undocumented mental issues for some of his uh, works. Um, perhaps he just had a really overactive imagination. I don't know. But either way, he gave a lot to uh, the world as we know it. I mean, there's well over 30 different versions of Alice in Wonderland, um, ranging anywhere from very faithful adaptations to just plain twisted, weird, um, morbid, deranged, illicit. I mean, Alice in Wonderland's pretty messed up stuff. And I'm not, it's not Alice in Wonderland, that's Malice in Wonderland, it's a specific movie, and it is not a children's film, so please don't. Um, but a lot of his other works have been adapted too, um, and, and like I said, you can, I mean, I like using the expression going down the rabbit hole, and that's a direct tie-in to his work. He's part of the daily culture in the world, and even more so within geek culture, so I think that it's important that we recognize his birthday. Um... Now, there has been some scandal also regarding his sexual orientation. Now, um, it's believed that he is heterosexual. Um, that's not really the part that's managed to cause scandal because in today's society that doesn't really phase much. However, there were allegations of potential pedophilia. Even if it wasn't something that he actively engaged in, there were, there's been some people that have theorized that that was one of the reasons why he got into photography the way that he did. Um, often... Um, depicting children in the nude, specifically young girls. Um, however, other biographers have hinted at the fact that in that era, a nude child was considered a symbol of innocence, and especially young ladies, and it was commonplace. I mean, if you look at Victorian photography um, and artistic representation of children, you do see a lot of nude children, even on Christmas cards. So I think that it's important to look at him in context, and I'm going to let you, if you want to research that more in depth, go right ahead. There's lots of books out there on the subject. Good biographies, bad biographies, um, good essays, bad essays. There's lots of good um, information out there. Um, so I, I just don't want to besmirch uh, what could be potentially just a very innocent person um, because some of the... Uh, allegations are made without taking into account that his family tried to uh, cover up his adult relationships with grown women who may or may not have been married and uh, they would have been considered scandalous at the time so the family tried to keep that down to maintain his reputation and it's just recently coming to light on some of those so I, I, I think that you know if you are interested in looking for it it's a very interesting time and one cannot really discuss um, Lewis Carroll without looking at that to some degree if you want to get a real picture of who we're dealing with here. And one thing is with who we're dealing with here is somebody of a fantastic imagination who really changed the face of literature on the whole and culture, especially for us nerds and geeks. So just wanted to take a little bit to talk about that. I mean... It truly is wonderful what he's contributed to our society in terms of literature. 
So even if you want to just ignore the personal life, like I typically do with most authors, because unless there's some reason I need to be looking at it, I don't worry about it. Um, I, I just think that, you know, it's very easily done. You can ignore that altogether and just focus on the works and truly enjoy them. Um, and with that, we're going to move on to our discussion time. All right, now... This is the discussion time, and as I've said, this is also a matter of something that's been reformatted, um, at least for um, these episodes that will be on the first of each month. Um, this is really more of an attempt to get people discussing things more, um, especially on the Kilted Lantern Facebook group. Um, it's pretty easy to find. It's a public group, and just look for it there on the, on the uh, Facebook, and you'll be able to find it just by searching Kilted Lantern Podcast. There should be a page. Page is inactive. It was really just created to allow me to do what I needed to do on there. And then there's the group, which is what I'm trying to get activity on for the sake of discussion. Um, the subject that I want to talk about, something that's been bugging me, I overthink. Okay, I know most of us geeks and nerds, we overthink things. It's one of the things that comes with being passionate about any subject. Now, most of us grew up um, with shows in our past that we really enjoyed, that we really can't watch the same way as adults. Um, now I'm not talking like the wonderful X-Men 90s TV series or Gargoyles or, um, oh, there's so many great ones out there. Now, I'm not talking about those in particular. I'm talking more along the lines, because I'm a big Master of the Universe fan, I'll go back and rewatch that, and I don't care. But um, I'm talking about the ones like... Uh, well, Thomas the Tank Engine and Friends. Now, there's also those who call it Thomas the Train, which makes my brain skip a beat every time I hear it. Um, or uh, there's some station or whatever it's sometimes called. I, there's lots of names that it has gone by over the years. But I was thinking back. Um, I really don't know why I was thinking back. Uh, the way that it was, but I work in a distribution center. I'm a box jockey, so I'm often in trailers by myself for a long period of time. And when you don't remember to bring your uh, earbuds with you, you sometimes uh, find yourself just having random thoughts. And well, this random thoughts one it deals with that particular show. How much free will, how much agency do the trains actually have in that? I know this is a weird subject for discussion, but I'm telling you, it has been eating at me for a long time. Because if you look at it objectively, the trains can move on their own, the trains can speak, they think, um, they seem to have agency. But at the same time, they are fully reliant on those who are working on them. Anytime they're carrying a load or moving long distances, there's always somebody working on them, feeding them coal, etc., um, they are therefore reliant entirely on those who created them in a way, the humans who created them. Um, they're entirely reliant because they need that coal they, to function properly, they need maintenance, they need cleanings, and that's all the job of the humans, um, the creators as it were. And then we come to the next part of this step. What happens if they exercise free agency 
Well, there was one uh, episode where one of the trains refused to go out because he didn't want to dirty his new paint job. And he got sealed into a tunnel, like bricked up, like we're talking Casca del Monteado, kind of bricked up here, um, into this tunnel by the uh, conductor, I think it was. Oh, no, it was the controller that did that. And, and I'm just thinking, that is a very, very harsh punishment for refusing to do work. It's starting to take on a much darker appearance here. And again, I could just be overthinking, but I, I am starting to wonder what is this real relationship between the two things, the human and the creation. Um, it, or, I mean, this is really taking on some Promethean themes too. Um, almost Frankenstein-like themes in the sense of the responsibility for the uh, creator to the creation and the creation to the creator. We get some very dark undertones in what's technically a children's show. And, and mind you, I often uh, suffer from insomnia, so that really hasn't been helping this much. Um, so right there's a discussion that I'd like to get going there on the Facebook page. Well, I mean, a Facebook group, I'm sorry. Um, but that brings into mind what I want to talk about in terms of overall subject, and that is that greater theme that I mentioned where it's Promethean, where it's, um, reminiscent of Frankenstein in that degree, because, you know, Frankenstein's also referred to as a modern Prometheus. Um, what kind of literature is there out there that really helps us to explore that theme? You see... There are certain themes that regularly occur in our culture, and that one is one of them, the idea of creation-creator um, relationship. Um, it stems into religion, it stems into philosophy, and that's on the very regular world kind of thing, but it's even more so prevalent in popular culture, um, because then it also comes into aspects of uh, destiny and function and our place in the world. Because our geek culture and our popular culture have a tendency to bring out certain themes that relate to us and our thoughts and our philosophies. And they can tend to ask the questions that we sometimes don't want to ask. We don't really want the answers. Um, and one of those questions is, what is our function in society? Who are we responsible to? Is there anybody beyond us that we personally have as um, an authority figure or somebody over us? Or are we completely responsible for our own actions 100% of the way? These are questions we often don't want to tackle, but we end up tackling in some way, shape, or form. And even subconsciously, or even in some cases consciously, it works into our popular culture. Um... One of the best-known examples is Frodo not wanting the ring in Lord of the Rings. Um, another great one is um, the great power or great responsibility through Peter Parker and Spider-Man. Um, all of these characters run into something that they didn't ask for, and they often have to just deal with. And they have to figure out where they should be fitting into all of this. What is their place in this world we live in? And what is their obligation with these abilities and situations they find themselves in? Um, we as humans tend to run across 
lots of situations. We look at our talents. We look at things that uh, we can do that nobody else really seems to do as well. Oftentimes, like myself, many of us look at something and go, well, I'm sure somebody else is more adequate to fill that role or is better at that job than I am. But sometimes we are that perfect fit and we have to step up and acknowledge that. And those fears are often um, brought forth in various genres of popular culture, such as superheroes, um, even something as uh, straightforward as Star Wars sometimes shows the idea of a hesitant hero. Um, the great uh, conflict between uh, Luke Skywalker and the fact that his father is Darth Vader. That right there, in and of itself, is something that turns into a conflict within himself. All of these conflicts are represented in popular culture, and I think that uh, we need to be more open about these themes so that we ourselves can use our popular culture and our love of it to help ourselves move forward with hard problems that we face. And all of this just stemmed from me overthinking um, the fact that I saw a Thomas the Tank Engine toy while loading a trailer. And so I, I apologize if I'm waxing philosophic here, but I think that we need to be open with what our... Uh, popular culture is showing us. We need to look at what we're reading and we need to take it on a deeper level sometimes. We need to look at what we're watching and look at it from a thematic stance occasionally. Um, because it's one thing to enjoy something. It's nothing to get all of it out. I mean, I love reading books. I really do. And there's so many levels you can take them on. Just face value, slightly metaphoric and symbolic, and then just thematics and it can get very very deep or very very shallow as you wish to look at it um some years ago i got a book called uh the superhero devotional um obviously it's a religious book i'm not going to get too much into uh what's contained in the pages but it really does help you look at the thematic aspects of everything um i really enjoy looking at the themes of things and I hope that you do too, so that you're getting the fullest enjoyment out of your fandoms. But I, what I want to know as part of this discussion is not just the how much free will do you think Thomas and Friends have. That's just kind of an intro idea that pop, we got this all going. But I want to know, and I, this is what I want the discussion to be about uh, there in the group, is what are some of the themes that you found in your favorite fandoms and how have they helped you and you're moving forward with life and your continual quest toward who you are today and who you will be tomorrow. I want to say the push toward maturity, but there's so much more because we're never done growing in that capacity. So I'm asking you is, how have your fandoms introduced you to ideas that have helped shape who you are and who you're going to be and the kind of person you want to be? For me... I grew up reading The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings, and those books have been so influential in terms of the idea of fate, free will, small people making a big difference in the world, um, the actions of the regular everyday person being just as holy as the actions of the great, because it's all about why we're doing it and how we're doing it. 
Um, Masters of the Universe actually had a moral segment at the end of every episode that I, I just, just enjoy that. And I hope that with any additional series that they have coming up, and that's going to come up in our next episode, which is about reboots, but they'll... Yeah, a little bit of discussion about that later. Um, I want to know these things that helped you. I want to have you discuss it. I want you to share your joy about the things that shaped you into who you are and are still shaping you today. Because I don't care if it's something as menial as, you know what, this movie made me laugh in a time where I didn't think I could laugh anymore and that made me think about life a little bit better. It can be something as small as that and it can make a big impact on your life. And I want to hear about it. I want others to hear about it because the thing that the outside world doesn't understand about us nerds, about us geeks, is the fact that this stuff is important to us. It's not just something that we enjoy and we're throwing ourselves in like little kids eating too much of a good candy. No. These things are meaningful to us. And I want you to talk about how it's meaningful to you, whatever it might be, whatever fandom it might be. Um, I don't care if it's an anime that uh, helps you appreciate the idea of going out there and being the odd one out and still doing good things. Because that's a re- another regular theme that you run across in all of our popular culture. Um, Gargoyles, Ninja Turtles, X-Men especially. You see these things and they make you think, you know, I'm the outsider. But at the same time, I can still do good for the sake of doing good. These are lessons we can learn from this stuff. And I think that it's about time that we, as nerds and geeks, started being proud of that and sharing it with others. Because in this world, it's really hard to bring up objective morality without getting all the subjective morality shoved in your general direction. But when you can take these moral lessons, like just being a genuinely good person, if you can take these moral lessons out of this real-world context and put them into these popular cultural contexts, these fictional contexts, you can take that lesson and share it to a broader audience. See, we as geeks are passionate people, and one of my passions has always been helping others. And I want people to get the same help from my fandoms that I got so that they can help you know, get through some rough times. And I would love to hear your stories of either using it to help others or how it helped you or how it shaped you or ideas that you never would have thought of without it. So I really want you and really encourage you to hop on to the Kilted Lantern um, Facebook group and let's start that discussion. Let's start a community being built around our shared interests and not just our shared interests but our personal stake in said shared interests because that's where real discussion begins. Um, so that's my request, challenge, whatever you want to call it to all of you uh, listeners, that you start talking about things like that. And I'm going to make sure that there's a thread up for that um, to help get things rolling. I'll even share my own experience to help break the ice. And now it comes time to wrap up our uh, episode of the Kilted Lantern podcast. Um, Just a quick little reference to what we'll be talking about in the next uh, episode. I will be having a guest for the recording. um, And we're going to discuss reboots and remakes. Differences, good, bads, uglies. In fact, the very name of the episode is Reboots. The Good, the Bad, and the Why.
And it'll all be an interesting time filled with lots of uh, masculine nerd rage and lady nerd rage. And I'm only saying that because, well, believe me, the term has come up repeatedly <laughs> in the preparation for the episode. So I just want you to look forward to that. I look forward to having you guys enjoy the show. And I'm really looking forward to the discussion. So please, by all means, keep your rings charged, your pleats in the back, and stay geeky. This episode of the Kilted Lantern Podcast was made possible using the software on Anchor.fm, and the music included in it is from their free music library. Any intellectual properties referenced in this episode are copyright to their respective creators and or copyright holders and are used without permission. Any views mentioned in this are the views of those that brought them forth and do not represent the views of any connected franchises or intellectual properties associated with them or their holders. This is your host again, reminding you to keep your ring charged, your pleats in the back, and stay geeky.